0: We
1: live right now, man, it's going down, sided for the season, you know, we coming off a playoff win, I mean, you know, we had a couple wins.
0: Welcome to episode 156 of the Brew Hoop podcast, the Milwaukee basketball podcast presented by members of Brew hoop. My name is Riley Feldman. Uh, you guys know the deal. If you hear my voice, that means Adam isn't here. Kyle isn't here either. But don't turn off. Don't turn off the podcast. It's not just me. I'm not doing a monologue, a draft monologue. Um, I have a couple of special guests, a couple of new staff members making their uh, triumphant debut on the BrewHoop podcast I have Michael and Jackson with me, um, and I would ask normally how you guys are doing, but because this is your first time on the podcast, I'm going to ask out how you're doing, and also ask you to introduce yourself to listeners, um, tell us why you're covering the books, why, why you came to Brew Hoop, and uh, any other background you'd like. So I will start with you, Michael. Michael, how are you doing this evening?
2: Uh, I'm doing well. Thank you for thank you for having me on. I appreciate the the opportunity to sit here and talk some draft. A little bit of background about me, I grew up in Texas. I did my undergrad at Texas A&M a few years ago, and I'm pursuing my master's at UW Madison. And um, a big reason that I decided to join this group is I grew up a Texas A&M fan, my dad's an Aggie. It was pretty much predetermined that I was gonna go there for at least some college. And uh, Chris Middleton emerged as one of the top contributors for the Bucks like 10 or so years ago. And that kind of led me to becoming
0: a Bucks fan. So, yeah, thank you. Very cool. Jackson, how about yourself? How are you doing tonight? And tell us about yourself.
1: Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, background on me, I grew up in the uh, suburbs of Chicago, Wheeling, Illinois, for those who are curious. Uh, uh, I covered basketball at Marquette for the past four years. Truly incredible. Sports has been my life since I was six years old. I used to watch Cubs games with my grandpa and all that kind of stuff, and once I realized I wasn't good at sports, so that'd be a good idea to cover sports, So, uh, and part of the reason I came here to Brew Hoop was just I love covering the NBA. NBA is probably my favorite sport now, so I love talking that, and quick little fun fact and partially why I joined is that I actually used to be a brand ambassador for the Milwaukee Bucks, so in my four years up in Milwaukee and doing that as well, I kind of gained a a bit more create appreciation for the box, so that's that's why I'm here.
0: Okay, so I'll have a follow up question for both of you guys. We'll go to Jackson first. So don't yeah. invalidate any NDAs you've signed. What is <laughs> what does it mean to be a an ambassador? What is what like? Just so, the summary of it. What did you do?
1: <laughs> so so basically, it was just trying to promote the team like on a college campus. So we had like there's the student rush program. So where students can get like discounted tickets. And it's through pretty much the entire state of Milwaukee for the most part. But obviously the big ones, Marquette, UW Madison, a couple other schools in Milwaukee. So that's what where big promotion was. And then it was just like to do like little events here and there. We only got to do one because by the time we were trying to plan another one, a little thing called COVID 19 happened, and that wasn't able to really get off the ground. So I was like unofficially like let go after that point. Like I tried contacting someone a few years later, like, hey, what's going on? How are you doing? Like, oh yeah, I don't work with the bucks anymore. So I was like, oh, okay, cool. So yeah.
0: All right. Nothing was a bigger downer for brand ambassadors than COVID. That's that's the group we had to consider <laughs> first and foremost that took a hit. So I'm, I'm exactly. sorry. <laughs> My 725 pay wage was really good eating there. <laughs> um and then michael that is yes uh i like to think so we'll have to go back in the books and see if you guys got the designation or not um (laughs) michael would you consider yourself then first and foremost a chris middleton fan or a bucks fan and it's okay if you are a chris fan versus like above all else when it comes to the team but
2: I think I've kind of become more of a Bucks fan. I think I see the team as a unit now, as, as Chris Middleton's family. I mean, I'm still a huge Chris Middleton fan, and I'm going to kind of follow him wherever he goes, but the Bucks will always have a special place in my heart as the, the team that raised Chris Middleton, former Aggie.
0: <laughs> it's always important to end. We should start. We should institute that. Every time we mention Chris, you have to be like former Aggie. Uh, <laughs> <to be honest. laughs> People will I definitely not they will not stop tuning out if I start doing that in every podcast. Well, great. Well, thanks guys uh, for the intro. Thanks for coming on for the listeners. um, Again, if you've listened for the past couple of years, you'll know directly that the draft coverage on the podcast has been iffy to non-existent either because we were too lazy or we didn't have a pick Um, this time around. We knew that Kyle, Adam and I were going to be too lazy, but thankfully Michael and Jackson put in the time. uh, If you've been, Reading over on the site, got a couple of pieces up covering a couple of prospects to keep an eye on. Um, and the reason we wanted to bring you guys on and talk about the draft is not because we're going to go through the top 15 guys available at pick 58. But because there was a report by Sam Fasini at The Athletic uh, in the past week that the Bucks, among a couple other teams, are, I think they, the quote was aggressively or they're really working to move into the pick 25 through 40 range. So late first, um, top of the second The reasoning that was given, just a summary, was the See, There's a lot of wing prospects and older players that could be rotation ready. Um, And just a little bit of background on teams that have a lot of picks there. The Pacers have uh, five total picks in the draft, and four of them are in that range at 26, 29, 32, and then one deep at 55. Uh, The Hornets have four picks between 27, 34, 39, and 41. And then there's a couple of the teams in that same range as well, the 25 to 40, the Spurs, the Pistons, the Magic, the Jazz, who have calf space and could theoretically be taking guys back in without having to send salary back out. Um, so those are kind of like teams to keep an eye out for who we might be working with, just because not every team's going to want to draft four guys. Uh, so it makes sense to offload it, see if you can get something else in exchange. Um and the way that we're going to do this exercise is I, I want us to focus on 25 through 40, because as you guys know, anybody who watches the draft, once you get past the lottery and even in the lottery, Maker at number nine, uh, it can get a little chaotic for where guys fall, guys raise. So I, I just thought it would be instructive to come in, have you guys name off like five players each or so. We're going to do it draft formats, pick one, pick two, pick three, just so listeners have an idea of here's some realistic names. Um, We're going to have you guys go through, kind of give us an overview of the player, probably one strength or one overriding reason why they would be a good pick. And then maybe one main weakness to keep an eye out for. And before we even get into that, um, just to set the stage, I I kind of wanted to ask you guys, when you're setting up and looking at draft picks, what are the things you're looking for how are you evaluating these guys so there's there's classic questions like um fits or best player available um is there like a specific skill that you guys were looking at the roster and the prospects of like i really value shooting i really value defending i really value like his size or whatever so those sorts of um factors i guess let's start with you jackson what kind of like are the grays the ways that you're grading these prospects and maybe it's not consistent across but like what's important to you when you were looking at this list
1: yeah, so it especially with the team with where the Bucks are now as a contending team trying to make the at the very least make the Eastern Conference Finals at most win another NBA championship. It's it's pretty much about plugging holes and finding guys who'll fit what you're lacking in certain areas. So when I've been looking at prospects, the biggest thing for me is to try and find guys who either have good size and defend have defensive versatility. Or guys who can handle the ball really well because I think we saw in that series against the Heat the the amount of pressure that was put on Drew Holiday and Giannis to handle the ball with Chris Milton still really trying to work back from the numerous injuries he had not only this season but in the last playoff run as well. So those were kind of the bigger things I was looking at and obviously shooting unless it's a center like you need shooting in the NBA four through one.
0: Did you, did you wait? Cause I was looking through a couple of your guys' name. Did you weigh like the body of work? Cause there's a couple of guys who are going to the draft who might've had, you know, a really good previous season, like just college season just finished and they were kind of a so, so shooter previously. Does that like, but how do you read into that? Or is it kind of somewhere in the middle? Maybe? I mean, we'll we'll get into it. Some of the
1: guys I think you're referencing. Um, it just also depends on like the risk reward with that kind of thing, whether it's, is this just a one-year wonder where this guy shot over 35% from three, or is this something that's going to be able to continue moving forward? So it depends on the guy here and there. But um, again, it's the amount of risk the Bucks are willing to take with even trading up in the first place
0: to try and get a guy who can be a rotational piece right away. Got it, Michael. How about you? What's what was your kind of philosophy driving some of your your research you were doing?
2: Yeah, like like Jackson said, I think size and defense were probably my my two favorite parameters to look at, specifically for the Bucks, since they have a reputation for being such a physically imposing team on the defensive side of the ball. But um, uh, another metric that I I take into account when I'm looking at At draft prospect specifically is free throw percentage. I know that there's like the the common take that that's a better indicator of if a guy's if a guy's stroke is going to translate to the next level than just three three point percentage or field goal percentage. So that's definitely one statistic in particular that I look at with like guards and some forwards to see like, will this guy be a productive floor spacer in the NBA?
0: Okay. And then my final question before we get into it, um, how much did uh, having quote that dog in them, how much did that weigh in your evaluation of the players? Cause I did see, I was looking at the ringer and Kevin O'Connor, he used got that dog in him a lot to describe <laughs> players, which it feels like malpractice to me, but I don't know if that factored in your guys' uh, evaluations at all.
2: It certainly doesn't hurt to be, <laughs> to be like, I mean, after, it's good to after have, yeah. I've, grueling games of jimmy butler in our our playoff series it would be nice to have someone who brings that that energy as long as it's not a, a a detriment like a patrick beverly or a dylan brooks type of player i certainly would like a guy that has that dog in him i
1: guess yeah okay i will quickly come to the offense of patrick beverly just really like there are some bad stuff he did obviously the shove on chris paul a few years ago that was bad but more times than not he was good but anyway yeah, I think that's something also to somewhat keep in mind because I think the Bucks have like a lot of like nice guys on this team, but they don't have that. Like Giannis can be that in in certain moments, but they don't have that that dog on that team. Like like a a Patrick Beverly or heck even like an Alex Caruso type player, just defensive minded or, or Draymond Green. I think is even a better example. Someone like that that's just got it in them is just going to do whatever it takes to win
0: or, or he who shall not be named PJ Tucker. Uh, But unfortunately (laughs) PJ got PJ got memory hold, so we can't, we can't bring him up. (laughs) Okay, cool. Well, I guess let's, let's get it started. What we're going to do is uh, I think I'm just going to award Jackson the first pick. Sorry, Michael, but uh, I think you guys have different names. So it's no big deal. So we'll start with uh, you Jackson. Then we'll just alternate picks. Um, So Jackson, that pick whatever, pick number one in the 25 to 40 range. Who is your selection?
1: This is going to be pretty bold considering where this guy has typically been ranked throughout most of this draft process. And that is Keontae George from Baylor is my first guy. So obviously one and done player at at Baylor, pretty much expected. Um, Sports Illustrated has him ranked as the 11th highest prospect in this draft. But when I, I was looking at uh, Vicini's mock draft, he has him actually following all the way to 27 to the Charlotte Hornets via the Denver Nuggets. So I thought that was interesting. But Keontae George is an absolute bucket. I think he will immediately transfer great scoring and ball handling into the NBA. Uh, he was the Big 12 rookie of the year. Fantastic score. The only issues I have with him are his lack of consistency on the offensive and defensive end. Uh, I was writing down some stats earlier and I was looking at his games against ranked opponents this year. Cause basically everyone in the big 12 at some point was ranked. Um, so he averaged 13 points, shot 34% from the field and had three turnovers per game against ranked opponents last year. So he had a couple of good games in there. He had like a 27 bomb against one team. I can't remember. I think it was TCU. Like he's had some good some performances, but both offensively and defensively, he hasn't shown a ton of consistency against great opponents. That's my one concern. But if he falls, I think he'd be a great fit for the Bucs. Again, talking about ball handling and just, just getting another score on this team, just to re, especially off the bench with a guy who can handle the ball because Grayson Allen and Javon Carter, Jay Crowder, when he was actually on the court, are catch-and-shoot guys who are going to or score. And then even Bobby Portis, he may go in the post, here and there, but again, catch and shoot three guy and uh, offensive glass guy. So having a guy who can put it up with his handle is, is going to be huge.
0: Michael, do you have any pushback on Keontae George going number one and pick 25 to 40?
2: You know, I don't. I think you made a very convincing case for Keontae George.
0: My, my question would be, is he more like combo guardy? Is he more of a two guard? Because part of it is, yes, dribbling on the team, but I think any guard that comes in, um, if you have any semblance of a passing game, that would be a huge plus. So I, I know you just said he's averaging like three turnovers a game. Is there like was he the primary ball handler for Baylor? Do you know any like any background? He was not. I
1: th- that was a uh, Adam Flagler was the main uh, ball handler for for Baylor this year. I think he was averaged like five or six assists per game. Uh, Flagler did so he was he's definitely more of a combo guard. He's six four guard, so he's going to be. He's not going to be like necessarily leading the offense floor general type, but he's a guy who can get you points and do it on the deck and shooting.
0: Yeah. And I think that might, that might fit too with the Bucks bench because we just, the bench, we, we, the team ends up having the starters, especially the big three carry, whatever the bench unit. So yes, another, and he is young too. He's a freshman, right? I think. Yes. He he's, he's a one and young. done guy. Yeah. So younger guy too, which I think is also interesting. Okay. Keontae George, number one. We will switch over to Michael. Michael, who is your top pick in picks 25 through 40, which I'll stop saying now, but you can can go.
2: All good, all good. Uh, My top pick is the small forward out of Alabama, Noah Clowney. I kind of took a page out of Jackson's book here as a guy that kind of has teens potential, maybe like end of lottery in some mock drafts, but I have seen him also sliding a little bit in other scenarios so I think that if the Bucs have a pick around 25, 26, and he's on the board, he could be um, their guy. He was not super highly recruited out of high school. I mean, he was. He went to Alabama. But he was the number 99 overall recruit in his class. And not, so not really a, a one-and-done prospect, but that's exactly what, what he's become. Um, I just think he would be a pretty solid fit for what the Bucks are trying to do. I think that this offseason is kind of about getting younger and more athletic. And he fits that bill. Um, he's six foot ten, which is really good size for a small forward, and he has a lot of potential as a floor spacer. I think he could play um, the four and maybe even the five in some small ball lineups. And he's great at rebounding. He's great at attacking the paint. Uh, he was an All Freshman selection for the uh, SEC this year, and on that Alabama team that going into the March Madness tournament was pretty much, other than Houston, the the top pick. By a lot of people to go all the way. I think he was at least on the defensive side, kind of the the tone setter for that team. And I I like a lot of his potential. Um, his three point percentage and free throw percentages. I know I just harped on that like five minutes ago, and it's
0: important. <laughs> throw it out the window but, though, for this guy. Throw right, it out.
2: <laughs> I like see it on, but um, the numbers don't really tell the story with him. I feel like his his highlights. His shot looks like it could translate beyond the arc. I don't. I don't know if it's going to ever be like an asset, but I think that it can get to a place where if you dish it out to him, you're not going to cringe. Like it is with some, some guys of similar size who have these, these crazy wingspans that can't shoot for whatever, but I think he could provide good defense for Milwaukee. And that's kind of the reason that I would, I would take a chance on him.
0: Okay. Um, is he that's so 6'10". He's playing as a small forward. Do you think the idea is, and I believe I read he's like the second youngest or one of the youngest players in the draft um yes. he's also a one and done guy is the idea then like you said, maybe get him to a four, add strength on he'll be a project guy, obviously, but if he can add strength is it is he gonna be a small forward forever at six ten or is he gonna or does he have the quickness to stay there
2: i I think he has the quickness to stay there i i would i like when I was envisioning him as a buck, it was more as a four. But like you said, that would be a multi-year project guy. I mean, we saw Giannis go from skin and bones to not skin and bones. And so he might not be the the best pick for like a win now, put in now, give heavy minutes now type of guy because he's going to be at like 3% body fat next year. But um, I think that down the road he could be, I mean, Chris or Brooke Lopez is up there in age. Bobby Portis isn't going to be there forever. I think he could be, one of those bigger guys on the on the defensive end who really has kind of a pulse for the Milwaukee defense.
0: Very cool. Okay. Uh, Jackson, pick number three over to you. Pick number three.
1: Well, if we're going to talk about guys who typically come to the league and they're, they're pretty much ready to go because they've gone to one of the best basketball universities in the country. Then I'm going to go with, with my second pick. We're going to go Olivier Maxence prosper a 6'8 forward out of Marquette University. Um, talk about a prototypical 3 and D guy. Uh, 6'8 forward, 230 pounds, uh, improved his three-point shot this year, I think by two or three percentage points. By even ta- And he even took like 58 more threes than he did his his first year with Marquette. Absolutely incredible. Also great personality, totally a team first guy. I think almost everyone who comes out of Marquette's a team first guy at some point in their career. Um, absolutely love talking to him uh, over this past year. Great guy to talk to. And the defense is just absolutely insane, along with the athleticism. In the Big East tournament, he threw down some nasty – nasty dunks i think he had one sequence against saint john's in the quarterfinal where he got a dunk i think marquette got a turnover and he comes back the other way and just posterizes someone like he's just that type of athlete as well and like i said talking about the defense between a 24-hour period he had to guard jordan hawkins who's another potential lottery pick and colby jones who's another potential first round pick in a twenty-four hour period, he held them to twelve points, five for twenty-two shooting, one for eleven from three, and three turnovers, leading Mark helping to lead Marquette to their first Big East title, tournament title in program history. So, uh, the only thing that concerns me about him is his balance at times. There are certain times where he would try and handle the ball, and he would, he would try- he kind of reminded me of Pascal Siakam with how many times he spun into the lane. And then he would just kind of like lose his balance and fall over, so that's my one concern with him. But I can see why after the draft combine, why he shot up from like a mid second round pick to now a late first to early second.
0: My two questions: one, how how heavy is the tint on those Marquette Golden Eagle glasses you're wearing? Would you can (laughs) you can you see the world around you? Yes or no? Just as uh Uh, to get it out
1: there. It's a pretty heavy... No, I'm just kidding. It's I the-
0: <laughs> I, like, I will yeah, There's
1: some bias in that pick, I'm not going to lie, but no, he is a, a fantastic player, I think, would fit really well with the Bucks. Um, Be a perfect backup small four, can play a little bit of four. Uh, like I said, he's already at 230 pounds, so he's not a skinny guy. He's played in college for three years, so he'd fit that mold. Um, and sh- Shaka Smart coaches have run pretty well, uh, and they usually translate well to the NBA. So... Uh, yeah he looks really good all around
0: and then I assume I mean given his size given his weight like being super heavy on contact without fouling a lot like he he seemed pretty capable because for somebody in his role that would come in I almost like the go-to always envision is PJ Tucker and and it's a very fine line in the NBA to be somebody who can be like really in aggressive as a defender without fouling a lot so like was he decent like not crazy foul rate I'm assuming
1: Oh yeah, no, no, no crazy foul rates from, from what I can recall. He's really quick on his feet. Like he had the guard. He's a really good perimeter defender. That's his, that's his calling card right now. I think that's already NBA ready. So I think that that's the biggest thing he's, he can stay in front of guys uh, and he's obviously referencing PG Tucker's got a lot more size, bigger wingspan. So that, that also helps quite a
0: bit. Yeah. Cool. I like that. And he's, he doesn't have to move. He can just nope. stay where he's. He he might get a nicer apartment, but uh, yeah, he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> moving costs are low, so that's good.
1: <laughs> yeah, all he has to do is take his stuff into from the Marquette locker room to the Bucks locker room. <laughs> that's like a ten or fifteen minute uh, walk inside Pfizer. Yeah.
0: yeah, that's. I, you know, it, if he's comfortable in the area, too, that that always helps for translating to the NBA. Okay, uh, pick number four. Over to you, Michael.
2: Yeah, for pick number four, for me. I am, or I guess my second overall pick, I am going to take the shooting guard out of Duke, Dariq Whitehead. Um, This is another guy who's super young. He's an August 2004 baby, which, um, yeah, I didn't even know was a thing in the NBA
1: level.
2: Yeah, it made me feel very old. I would, what, a, I would su- what I would say,
0: what I would suggest is don't use 2004 baby, just say bo- class like born in 2004. I think it was the inclusion of baby that made, that made that tough to <laughs> take.
2: <laughs> he's a, he's a descendant of the 2004 year. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> got, yeah. Yeah. He was a, a top three high school recruit coming out of Montverde, which gave us notable names like D'Angelo Russell and Ben Simmons. Um, he's six foot four, with a six foot nine wingspan. So um, another another positive arm to height guy. Um, he had a broken foot during his his freshman year at Duke and it only allowed him to appear in 28 games. He just got another surgery ahead of the combine to make him fully fully recovered from that injury or at least we can hope. And um, a lot of his his freshman year is kind of seen through the lens of not a hundred percent, but even so he had a really high, point percentage at 42.9 um so he's a uh, gonna be an electric shooter in the nba you would think and um his his one to two dribble step back is harden-esque in a sense it's very confident very sharp and it's something to be very excited about he's not uh, gonna really provide a lot as a passer i don't think from the jump he could be very turnover prone sometimes dribbling so it's not like the full guard package that you get in the lottery. But for for what he did at Duke, this is insane value to get at 25 through 30.
0: So I, I assume obviously the foot surgeries are the big concern. Did, did he, if he got it before and he didn't participate in the combine, I'm assuming? Like, I would guess.
2: I'm not 100% sure on that. I don't believe so though.
0: I would just be it's the kind of guy like it was he mocked to go super high and like he said good value because he just had all the wrong things went against him in his freshman year, like foot surgery. but at the same time, you know, we, we're we're used to now with Chris, uh, guys having nagging injuries broke two years ago, like with the back thing, you know, it's a but they're like we've had experience with guys being knocked off in a big way and Dante Vincenzo as well with foot issues as well that kept him out so mm-hmm. is like you know I, I guess the question for him is like how much does that affect his development is it a lingering issue uh, I I read that he can't really dribble outside of like going straight forward he doesn't you know I'm not sure how much he's creating his own shot so is it primarily at this point well, I guess he has the step back like he just said but is it like ideally he's going to be mostly a catch-and-shoot guy to start and everything else comes along as he goes or like what would you envision
2: okay so just to fact check myself real quick he measured at the combine i don't i'm not really seeing anything about participation but he at least was there but uh to answer your question a lot of what i saw i mean his his dribble into a shot is really confident but it feels a little bit more recited than improv like i don't know if he's there yet as a dribbler like confidently or creatively but he can do the one and step back and he can do the two and step back so i think he's going to be a catch and maybe move a little bit guy as mm-hmm. opposed to a like you said a, a guy that can really create his own shot at the next level at least in your one
0: yeah he's not going to be like driving deep into the defense right away like weaving through defenders necessarily but he's still able he's able to use the skills that he does have to get decent looks for himself which is that's a start at least compared to some other
2: Yeah. Another note on that: his field goal percentage was lower than his three point percentage. So that kind of speaks to the fact that he is not, um, he's That's not, awesome. he's catching and he's shooting. He's not <laughs> creating his own shot, <laughs> at least in, a, right. in an effective manner.
0: Okay. And six six, I mean, it's good good size for a, a two as well. So it, it's interesting. It's, it, I would agree if he was mocked to go very high and just things went against him interesting i would be curious to how much further depending on what teams have talked with him how much further he may or may not fall so that'd be something to keep an eye on even if the bugs don't end up picking them um okay pick number five over to you jackson
1: with my third pick we're gonna keep it in the big east and we're gonna head over to the national champion yukon Huskies. we're gonna go with andre jackson jr out of yukon um not a score in the slightest. He averaged 6.8 points his uh, last season, not last season, but the season before. So he's not going to put you, he's not going to be a scorer like some of these other guys we've been talking about, but he basically brings everything else. He's a supreme athlete. I can't count the number of times that UConn tried to throw him lobs on different occasions. Uh, great passer. He averaged, what was it, 4.7 assists last year. 6.2 rebounds, got even a steal per game. So really great on defensive end, really good athlete, does all the little things. The one concern is his outside shot. Shot 28% from three and 64% from the free throw line this past year. And I remember a game I was watching during the season, they were at Creighton and I'm pretty sure that Creighton was giving him like the Ben Simmons treatment where he would be at the three point line and his defender would be at like the free throw line or something like that. So that, that is a little bit of a concern, but if you're looking for a guy who can bring some energy, good defense is a good facilitator who, if you put him out with a lineup with a bunch of shooters, I think could be really successful as almost like a combo forward off the bench to kind of just lead that second unit. Um, uh, definitely a bit of an older player three years in college. So Dan Hurley, another really good coach out there. So I really like, uh, I don't like, I didn't like him seeing him play against Marquette, but that's because he's just a really, really good player.
0: Uh, Is his ultimate, like, upside Andre Roberson, like, has almost zero? I mean, he, he could, there's always a chance guys can develop an offensive game, but I do worry if you're a junior in college and you still don't really have much to do, like taking that, the defense will translate, but is the idea, like, you're going to be the defense guy and maybe dunk occasionally off of cuts and stuff, or...
1: There is some glimmer of hope because right now he has a bit of a high release and a hitch in his shot at the moment. So maybe that with NBA coaching that could be corrected. There is like a glimmer of hope because his sophomore season, he shot 36% from three and 71% from the free throw line. So if you could get him back maybe towards that end of things, I think that would be, I think that would be good. But yeah, I think early on in his career, he's going to be the defense passing and,
0: uh, Run and dunk, man. Yeah, we we have plenty of experience with run and dunk guys. So as James Harden <laughs> knows, we have a lot of run and dunk guys in. <laughs> Very cool. All right, pick number six over to you, Michael.
2: So I'm moving totally out of the Big East with this pick, and I'm going wow. James Naji, the center out of Nigeria. Ooh. Um. So our friends over at Peachtree Hoops, the Atlanta Hawks SB Nation affiliate, did a really good breakdown of this kid. I recommend everybody to check it out. It's super in-depth. I'm only going to really scratch the surface of how deep that they went. But um, he plays professionally over at FC Barcelona, not the soccer team, the basketball team right now. And um, the size isn't anything groundbreaking for him as a center, but... I'm pretty confident that he'll find his role in an NBA rotation. Uh, he's a lob catcher and a shot blocker first and foremost. Uh, his offensive highlights kind of remind me of 2015 DeAndre Jordan with longer arms. Maybe not quite as much in the vertical range, but there's plays where he just like fully extends his arms parallel and dunks it. It's it's really something to see. Um, and um, he also brings a lot of upside on the defensive side of the ball, and it's not necessarily. Like elite, but it's good at everything. He's kind of got the jack of all trades, master of none thing going on right now. He's a pretty good blocker. I mean, the highlights are insane, but uh, his rim protection is not maybe incredible. And his other major weakness that I've seen is if I read the stat correctly, 0.5 three point attempts per game and not a single make on the season. So don't even try with this guy. I would assume that was like either a mistake or a end of the shot clock type of deal because, wow. But um, <laughs> I could see him being a, a solid rim protector. It's kind of falls on the future of Bobby Portis, I think. I think he could really fill that role and be maybe even a higher upside guy on the offensive side of the ball than Bobby Portis.
0: Um this is interesting. So, so far I'd say he's like our only real true center-ish. He, he might be like slightly undersized for a center, but still, um, because Snow Clowney playing as a small forward, this guy, if he's playing more as a center. I've always long wondered what the transition plan, not past even just Bobby Portis, but like, what's the next evolution after Brook Lopez? Is it going to be Giannis just moving to the five more often with somebody else to spell him some minutes? Um, Najee is interesting in as much as, if he's a defensive guy who can do a little bit of everything that gives Adrian Griffin and whatever they're going to be molding defensively, maybe a little bit more functionality of like, okay, yeah, Brooke is your zone drop guy. If assuming Brooke sticks around and that's going to be a key component of him playing out there. Um, you can have Bobby as like sort of a point of attack. Bobby's not a great defender, but in theory, and then maybe Najee can, he can fill in in a lot of different spaces off the bench and um, no disrespect to all the centers we've had come through the backup backup centers, but, None of them been all that good. Uh, and they filled a very small role because of our rotation. But I think this seems interesting. Is there like, I, I was kind of reading, reading in terms of Najee reading the game, like some more simplistic mistakes, whether it be like, again, they were dinging him about like moving screen violations and then occasional bad turnovers. Is that like the worst? And it, also he's young, so who knows how he's going to develop. Is that like the biggest downside in theory to him?
2: From what I've seen, I think it doesn't get a whole lot worse than that of those areas of his game. Like you said, he's very young, another another 18 to 19-year-old, depending on on when his birthday is. I'm not 100% sure, but he's going to be pretty raw. But I do like the professional experience, albeit overseas. Uh, there wasn't quite as much scouting lore out there as I saw for the other guys, and it's I think it's just because of the international play. But yeah, yeah, like you said, it's I was more so just looking for a center who's a true center and is kind of ranked in the area where the bucks would be trading up. Because like you said, unless, unless we're bringing back Myers Leonard or something, the, mm-hmm. the center room gets pretty thin, pretty quick.
0: Don't say that, please. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to edit that out after the podcast or okay. after the recording. So I will edit out Myers. <laughs> Sorry, Myers. Um, no, it's, it's, it's an interesting pick and I'm I'm curious. I mean, I'm sure he's been mocked all over the place, but it's, it sounds like an interesting prospect that a lot of teams would be interested. So, if that was pick, I'd be, you might win me over on that one. Okay, pick number seven, Jackson.
1: Uh, before I get to my, my pick, I just wanted to comment quickly on Najee. I think that'd be a great pick for for the Bucs, just because I am a little concerned with potentially moving Giannis to the five, because I think he brings so much defensive value at the four with a rim-protecting center like a Brook Lopez. So I think if you're able to get him as potentially a, project starting center in like four three to four years or something like that I think that would be a great pickup
0: yeah and I actually I was reading as well like that reading about Najee I sort of got a little bit of Giannis-ish vibes so of like he'll he can be very explosive with reading the play reacting and then getting to the block kind of out of a, a less than advantageous position he's not going to probably be as with like the athleticism and agility that Giannis has particularly but um, that was kind of encouraging, and I, I I tend to agree with you, Jackson, that Giannis at the five is fine in limited instances if you have a lineup you are specifically running. But we saw with the season that Brook Lopez, without I mean, it, it takes a toll on Giannis on both ends of the ball. He's able to do it, but it's probably not the best use of his body and um, especially his effort on the offensive glass that takes a take a takes a hit from that. So
1: yeah as much as a chiseled greek adonis that he is he still gets his bumps and bruises from time Mm -hmm. to time so uh with all that said i'll go ahead and get into my next pick at pick seven of this little mock draft here and i'm gonna go with kobe brown out of mizzou um kind of list him as espn has him listed as a guard but sports Illustrated said he's more of another combo forward uh I really didn't get to catch a lot of him like during the season, but once the SEC tournament rolled around, I became a huge fan of his. He had a big game against Tennessee to send him to the game against Alabama, and while he didn't have the greatest game against Bama in that semifinal, he still put up like really good numbers in that game. I'll pull that up really quick. Like it was, what was it here? Um, yeah, he only had six points, but he still had two steals, a block, two assists, seven rebounds. So he, he still contributed, but obviously you want more scoring out of him in that sense, but I really like it. The one concern with him is, again, potentially uh, shooting could be a problem because prior to this year, um, he had never shot more than 50% from the field or 30% from three, and then he explodes to 55% from the field and 45% from three on three attempts. The one thing that makes me think that it can translate moving forward is that he nearly shot 80% from the free throw line. So that's a, that's another big thing here. But he's kind of like in that similar mold to uh, to Andre Jackson, except with a better shot that he's going to be another combo forward who can lead the the guys off the bench. He's not going to be on the ball all the time, but he has enough where he has good vision. He has obviously good size for 6'8 combo forward to where he's able to see the floor. And I just really think, again, another really good fit. And I think it's a forward-thinking move for the Bucs. Yes, he's a little older, played four-year in college, but we're seeing more and more bigger point guards and combo forwards who handle the ball. Lonzo Ball, LaMelo Ball, Ben Simmons when he was with the 76ers. Um, I don't I don't know if he's going to get to that height as a player, but I think he brings a lot of potential upside offensively, and
0: he's, he's, he's a good enough defender. Yeah, I, the the interior game to me is interesting because s- for so many years the Bucks have been if you're going to be creating inside, it's going to be either Chris Jew or Giannis from like the elbow or something like that, or driving and then kicking out. Um, to have somebody else, and if you're a role player, it's like Grayson Allen drive and maybe kick out right as like the apex mm-hmm. apex, and then he takes out Alex Caruso, and that everyone wants to you know he's. It, enemy number one so we've seen what happens with the role players um and i think of like other guys i'm trying to think of outside of simple kickouts it's not really a thing that is featured in walkie's offense in the past um so i was interested reading about the fact that he has interior scoring like he's already got a feel for that passing out of it like creating out of that um again just in terms of an offense that for years can get bogged down um if he's a willing passer from advantageous positions i think that's helpful because even bobby portis great gets in great position, but when, you know when he's down there, like, okay, you know Bobby's going to take the shot. Usually that's the right choice because he makes it, but if he's not making it, what's the second option then outside of that, or does he is he thinking about the second option? So I, I liked reading that about Kobe Brown as well, so that was that was interesting. Yeah, and the other thing I,
1: I really liked is that he's got a huge frame. He's 6'8", 250, so if he's matched up on some potentially smaller forwards and guards, he's going to be able to take advantage of that uh, with the in the post and he didn't average a ton of assists. He averaged 2.5, but I think he's a good enough passer and has good vision enough where he's going to set up guys, but he's maybe not necessarily going to get the assist. Okay.
0: Big number. Yeah. Eight. I
2: remember um, nope, when correct. I was at Texas A&M covering the A&M basketball team, we had this small ball lineup. This was two years ago now and Kobe Brown was very annoying in a particular game that I covered against Missouri because he's very large and (laughs) is an offensive rebound machine, or at least he was that night, if I remember correctly.
0: All right, pick number eight, Michael, what do you think?
2: Yes, so uh, with pick number eight, I'm moving down the board a little bit, getting a guy that's maybe... Closer to the forty range than the twenty five range, but he's one of my favorite players in the entire draft, and that's Seth Lundy out of Penn State. He is a small forward, and yes, uh, similar size to Dereck Whitehead at six foot six as well. And he shot forty percent from three last season as well, so um, he's one of the the top shooters at that size. And I think he could be kind of a steal in the the later part of the draft because he's not he's not overly athletic. He's not. Um, He's not going to wow you with a drive or anything, and he hardly provides any upside as a passer, but um, he's practically a guaranteed 3-and-D option. Um, the Bucks really looked like they needed a swing man in the Miami series, and I think his floor is really impressive. I mean, when you watch his, his Penn State highlights, it's just corner after corner after corner, and he's um, – he just seems like a, a go-getter and a guy that I really would like to see on the, the roster.
0: Yeah. I. It's so we're, we are seeing a theme based off of what you guys told me, either all defense questionable offense or like all scoring. And we're going to figure it out. I, uh, from again, a little bit of research, a uh, good motor on defense question for him defensively is quickness, lateral quickness. And that would be again, r- part of the question for us evaluating these in previous seasons, it wouldn't be as hard because I know what Mike Budenholzer is going to run for the most part. I know what's expected of the guards. I know what's expected of the forwards and of the center um, with Griffin. That's going to be more of an open question, but I'm I've been inundated by bud ball. So I think of guys like, okay, you're going to stick on, get through on ball screen or like, yeah, on ball screens. Are you going to be able to be aggressive at the point of attack? And it seems like Lundy has the right attitude and motor. It's just, does like, physically, is he going to be able to, like, keep up laterally to keep the pressure off of whoever the dropping center is? So that was the one big concern. But otherwise, another guy who proven track record as a scorer and is a senior. Um, so you figured that would translate relatively quickly. Um, so it would just – you have to see how he would fit against an NBA defense or as in an NBA defense, I should say.
2: And for what it's worth, at the combine in one of the scrimmages, he put up 18 points. And looked like one of, if not the, like most in control, if not the best players on the floor. He looked like a professional, and it, he's against other rookies. Granted, but um, he it, that gave me a lot of confidence because this take has been been boiling for like the last month. So it kind of reassured me a little bit.
0: Yeah. Um... And I like that we get a little Big Ten representation. I'm, I'm done here about the Big East. And also to go back to Naji, does it get more Big and East than Spain? That's pretty. That's pretty far East, if you want to be technical about it. Uh, <laughs> now, I like the. I think he's the only Big Ten guy we have. So apparently, there's not that many. Uh, maybe they're going higher in the draft, but I don't know if it's a, was a strong conference for draft picks. Um, if was
2: anything like UW, man? <laughs> <I don't know. laughs>
0: um. Pick number nine. This is the the last of your guys' picks here before we go to the honorable mentions. So Jackson, pick number nine, your final guy.
1: With my last pick, uh, I'm going to go back to the guard position, and we're going to go with the senior guard out of Houston. We're going to go Marcus Sasser. Um, I think this kind of goes back to what you're talking about as another guy's ma- mainly just a pure scorer. At this point, average 16 points and three assists, so he's not going to be – they list him as a, another, like, a smaller combo guard. Um, but he he basically can do it all offensively. He can create his own shot in the mid range, has a decent floater game, can get to the paint. Um, he can catch and shoot from the three-point line. He shot 38% from three this year, 84% from the free throw line. While he, do, he won't be the greatest defender, he still has enough uh, of a motor – and quick hands and quickness just in general to stay competitive on the defensive end despite being 6'2", 195. So, <laughs> again, I think that feel, it fills a role of having a guy who can score off the dribble, but it also fills that role of having still having fitting in that mix of catch-and-shoot guys as well when some of the bigger guys are out there. And, again, he's a senior, would definitely fit more with the more adults and mature culture that the Bucs are developing here. And would be great to have as just another veteran guy at this point.
0: The yeah, obviously six one six two is the it it's it they it can be workable if you have the right attitude. You know, like Trey Young, that's like the worst of all worlds. Like you don't even <laughs> care, you know. So so long as he cared, I would be I'd be willing. But it is. You know, like, like you were saying a little bit earlier, the, the trend is in the direction of, okay, you're going to have bigger guards. You can have bigger combo forwards, like handling the ball. Um, and this would be in the different direction. Who was the guy from, was it Louisville a couple of years ago who was also undersized? He went to the Mavs and was like, oh, he could be like Trey Young 2.0. And then I think I think he, he ended up uh, stopping basketball for like personal reasons. Um, but I don't know if he even oh. really broke through. Yeah. Um, I can't remember his name now, but, but that's kind of like the vibe that I get with guys like this, where it's like, you know, if the scoring is there, it can overcome within, um, different lineups, but at a size like six, one, six, two, um, you you just wonder how that's, how that'll fit and how much he can be a pest in the pick and roll Mm -hmm. probably, but nothing much else past that, Or, or maybe like, you know, good at stealing, contesting, things like that. But, um, that would just be the open question about somebody his size, I think.
1: Yeah, and he's another positive wingspan guy. He's got a six foot seven wingspan for a six foot two guy, so I think that's, that's solid. I would say uh, he's also got really good footwork on the defensive end. So I think, yeah, he will be he will be a pest on ball and through screens. Um, but yeah, I think that's going to be the main thing. I think yeah, he averaged one point six steals, averaged over two steals uh, a season prior. So I think he'll be he'll be really solid in that area.
0: Very cool. Okay. We're down to the, to the final pick in the, in the course of the exercise, uh, Michael, please take it away.
2: Yeah. Uh, once again, I'm going to sort of take the baton from Jackson and draft another guy who's a, a senior and a March madness, sweetheart for lack of a better word. And that is Jaime Jaquez jr. Out of UCLA, the power forward. Um, the elite athleticism doesn't really jump out at you. Uh, the, the 3 po- the 32.8% from 3 is also kind of a eh. but this guy is a ugly layup or ugly hook shot merchant. He's um a great leader from what I've seen. He's um kind of does everything you want in a in a late round not athletic def- like four year college defensive leader guy. Um Probably not going to blow anyone away, but I think coming off the bench and at like around pick 38, pick 39, pick 40, he's going to be a, a guy that the Bucks would probably like to get if they have that pick.
0: C- could you say his name for me one more time at the first name, especially? Yeah. Is it Jaime Hawkins Jr.? That it, it seems, yeah. seems and sounds, sounds about right. Yeah. Okay. I, I like he, he looks elite at looking 35 years old which I think is, I don't know if I would, how you rate that necessarily in the course of, um, you know, looking through these guys, but um, it, it, to me, it was interesting that he looks and I love, I love the look. I loved, I would tune into UCLA basketball and he would be the guy getting like one of the shout outs. Cause it's like, he's classic mold, like hard nose does all the hustle stuff, like the dirty work, which you need and it can translate to a certain extent, but it was also like he, he could be a little slow, I'm like, OK, well, yeah. I don't know if that's a huge concern or not, but
2: from purely a look standpoint, he does kind of feel like the modern inter- interpretation of Adam Morrison with like the goatee <laughs> and the the shaggy hair. He's got the headband, which is new. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, he does. He does kind of as a as a late non-sexy pick. I think he could be one of those guys for the Bucks for sure.
0: Yeah. The, and one more note, note on him. Um, and this, I already said earlier, uh, Kevin O'Connor with the, got that dog rating I thought was fireable. Uh, the description for Hawkins junior was he changes, he can change rhythms like a tool song. That's not good. Come on. That doesn't make me, I get what he's going for, but that doesn't make me feel confident about what's happening. So, uh, you know, I don't know if I'm going to hold that as like a knock against him, but I guess, uh, encouraging that he has different levels to it like he, he's able to match whatever the pace of the game is which in a fluid defense like we're going to be working with here whatever we end up hashing out he should be able to if he was drafted by the bucks would be able to find a spot within there and he he's got decent size things like that so
2: okay like i said before the three-point numbers don't jump out at you but when you watch his tape he shoots like someone who knows how to shoot for what it's worth and i mean we've seen that not work in the past but I mean, when you're picking it, like the, the latter part of the draft and kind of just throwing darts, I I mean, why not take a guy who was able to stay on the floor almost constantly for three years at UCLA?
0: Yeah. Very cool. Well, that's our 10 picks, listeners. I Now, at this point, um, at my follow-up questions, would you guys say, I have the list here on our um, outline, is Keontae, George, and Noah Clowney, are those, if, depending if we – got like a pick in that range would those be your respective top picks for sure like or is it is there anyone else that you would like okay this would be the top guy I know it's kind of depends on the situation but you guys went with them first or are they like your standouts in terms of your list
2: um I kind of fell in love to answer this question I kind of fell in love with the rankings a little bit. And I thought that Clowney would be less likely to be available at a pick that we got in the mid twenties. So that was kind of my thinking. I'd probably put Derek Whitehead a hair over just for the upside and him being a top three recruit in pretty much every ranking that I saw coming out of high school. So that would be, be my thinking. What about you, Jackson?
1: Uh, I'd say for me uh, again, rankings having Keontae George is a mid to high lottery pick. Um, this would be a scenario where the Bucks have traded up to 25, and he's there. Uh, but if they, if he's not there and he's still like in the mid, but I, like I'd say he, he is there, I'd probably go with uh, Maxon's Prosper just for the simple fact, age and maturity, defensive upside, and his three point shooting, which all kind of fits into what the Bucks want to do. And I think he has enough where he can develop a little bit of putting the ball on the deck and scoring a little bit. He won't be as good as some of these other guys as we've talked about in doing that, but I think just enough to, to justify him being a late first.
0: Okay. And then, um, you know, I restricted you guys cruelly to five picks each for 15 possible pick selections. Was there anybody else kind of in this, as we said at the start, wide range that didn't make your list that you would say, for listeners, keep an eye out. Or this, I wouldn't be mad if he was in there. Like, is there any other name in that kind of range that would have made your list had it been a little bit longer than five players?
2: One that exists for me, not even more so for the story than for the basketball, but the basketball is not bad either. Would be uh, Brandon Pajimski out of Santa Clara. He's a shooting guard. And what what kind of drew him to my attention was this YouTube channel called Jimmer Range. He yes. was. T- yeah, you know, you know about that. Yeah, he uh, he transferred from Illinois, and he's at Santa Clara, small school, and he scored twenty three points per game. And ahead of his transfer, the, this Jimmer Range guy gets a DM from someone saying, "You need to look into this kid. This kid's got going to have a, a blowout or a blow up season." And the guy has the last name Pajimski, <laughs> and he's like, "Are you his dad?" And he's like, "Yeah, but that's beside the point." And it. <laughs> it was just very funny and he he balled out i mean santa Clara is not like a in a power conference or anything but uh, he looks great at the combine scrimmages which is almost like a give or a, a vital thing to have happen for someone playing from a small school but uh he would be he would be someone that's kind of around that pick range that i would keep an eye on yeah i
1: had a i had a couple of friends who go to the university of illinois who um kind of told me about the situation and kind of why like he left illinois and just kind of like his reaction to all of it where like he wasn't really given much of an opportunity at illinois and now this is what he was doing at santa clara so that was really cool to see um this is these two guys for me are a little bit more towards if they felt like pick 58 but uh this this guy uh Muhammad Gouyeh, uh, so he's a 6'11 big from Washington State. I, I wrote about him in uh, my draft article a few weeks ago for hoop.com. Make sure to check it out. Um, uh, he's not a super great defender. He only averaged about a block per game, but he's an absolute phenom on the offensive end, especially the offensive glass. Uh, I think, yeah, he averaged 3.4 offensive rebounds per game which I think was number one in the Pac-12. So, and while the shooting percentages outside of like field goal don't look great at 27% from three and 61 from the line, he has a really smooth looking jump shot. Like in the article, I compared it to like Kevin Durant in terms of like his size and how smooth his jump shot is. And make it clear, I don't think he's ever going to be close to the player Kevin Durant is, but I just think he can keep developing that shot just with how good it already looked. It's just got to start knocking them down a little bit more. And the other guy is uh, Adam Flagler from Baylor. True point guard, floor general guy. He was leading scorer and passer on the on the on Baylor. 15.6 points, 4.6 assists. Really good. He had true shooting percentage at 56.2. He's a little bit smaller, 6'3, 185, but he's still a really good defender on that end of the court quick on his feet, lots of speed. I think that would just bring another really good dynamic to what the Bucs are looking for. And I think he would be like this steal of the draft if he somehow falls to 58.
0: I'm glad you went to pick 58. I was going to bother you guys for pick 58 guys on the draft of free agents, but that's so chaotic that now that I'm on the podcast, it's, that's a silly idea. But I, I do want to go back. So is it Pajinski Pajim, like I-N-I-M? Oh uh, yes,
2: it's it's I think it's Polish. Uh, yes. the pronunciation that I wrote down because I knew I would run into this is Pod Gymski.
0: Pod so, yeah. I thought pod-gymsky. so as Jackson was talking about the background, I thought this is a story everyone's heard. Somebody in Illinois who's not getting a chance isn't recognized in the state of Illinois and goes to California to find a better opportunity. That's the Midwest story that we've all heard time and time again. <laughs> so I think uh prodigal son returning, I think that would be a beautiful thing. Uh <laughs> Very cool. I think uh, that runs any any other draft stuff. Uh, you know, we'll move on to rapid fire here shortly. But I appreciate all the information. I, I think if the listeners go through, um, we'll have pieces this week. We've had pieces up covering a lot of prospects, um, as Jackson already said. So for sure, go check it out. Um, our coverage, and then also just look into the players elsewhere. There's draft coverage everywhere, so you can look up a lot of these guys. But any any final draft thoughts at all? Are you obviously hoping the books? jump forward from pick 58 nobody wants to stay awake until they and then they sell pick 58 so like we're all obviously hopeful they do something right
2: yeah i just i hate the way that the the draft gets at the end when the picks Mm -hmm. start to become afterthoughts like i mean Jokic got drafted during a taco bell commercial (laughs) and and i just feel like they they haven't learned their lesson quite yet in that sense. But um, yeah, pick 58 is an, I would like to see a, a higher pick than that for the Bucks. That's kind of where I'm at.
1: Yeah. I just think they need some more infusion of young talent. I think the youngest guys on the team are Grayson Allen and Javon Carter, and they're both 27 years old already. So
0: and I know uh, Marjan Bochamp is... I was going to say, also... this is horrible Marjan erasure right now. Come on. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm not trying to
1: erase <laughs> him, but I'm talking about guys who actually played like solid yeah. minutes this year. Yeah. So yeah. outside of Marjan, there's not a ton of young talent. And for them to jump up, heck, even to like 35, would be a, a great move forward to get some
0: someone who is young and
1: can contribute right away.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and and... With these so many teams holding so many picks in that range as well, again, they're probably not going to draft use all those draft picks themselves, or they're going to have to stash them, cut them immediately, whatever the situation is. So, um, I think the combination of that, and it's more and more okay these days to get guys who have been three year, four year players if you feel they have the right skill set. Um, yeah, I think it, uh, Van in his piece was talking about a couple of guys in recent years, you know, early second round picks, but still second round picks that are older fit that kind of mold and immediately contributed to their team. Um, So I I think everything comes together that, yeah, it it feels like the right option, especially with how constricted the team is with team building heading forward. Um, You're not going to get many chances to get guys young, cost controlled and could contribute. So um, I thought this was really instructive and I learned, I actually learned a lot. So I appreciate it guys. Um, And now I'm going to subject you to rapid fire questions as my thanks. So uh, without further ado, um, let's get to it. So, first question, this is gonna be a little bit more filling in your backstory, your Bucks-related backstory. Where were you when the Bucks won the twenty twenty-one NBA finals? Were you watching? First say were you watching? I hope you were watching the game, but it's okay if you weren't, I guess.
2: Yeah, I was I was in college. This was when it was over the summer, right? Obviously, I mean it was the finals, and I was at a, a little spot called Los Cucos in College Station, Texas. Uh, they had these they had um, these really lethal margaritas and everyone called it Club Cucos. And I just remember I don't I don't remember if I bet on game 6 specifically, but I think one of my friends may have had action on it. So we were we were all locked in and just it was amazing to see the Bucks win. <laughs>
1: i i definitely was watching um i just can't remember if i was watching it with one of my friends who i from who was still in high school at the time or if i was watching it with like my brother or something but i just remember just seeing like Giannis go off and just seeing the the scenes at uh deer district and all that kind of stuff that was That was just really cool to see i even got to write a story about deer district uh while i was at marquette so that was a lot of fun too so i i was heavily rooting for for the bucks that that postseason run again as i've talked about when when the bulls suck i'm okay with rooting for for the bucks so it was really cool to see the first title since kareem was was a Buck. so i just i thought that was amazing and the prophecy coming true of bucks and six and Mm -hmm. that, that was just amazing it was such a this, fun
0: postseason. It was the whole run. It was so, the stupidest postseason run of all time. I was like, we're dead. <laughs> we're dead like 30 times on the way through. And I it's so funny talking to you guys as like not primarily Bucks fans at the time, like first and foremost. So like you're like, oh, I was I was some wicked margaritas and I don't remember where I was. And I don't remember if I was watching with a friend. And I remember like my wife was there and I went down on my knees and I just wept. I was like, I can't believe this is so. Com- the comparative like i was we were in on the gambling action and it's just i love the dichotomy of it but hopefully you guys will get to experience it with more bucks fandom in your hearts again um, all right yeah. second question um whether or not you've been like really in on following each and every nba draft i think everybody who watches the nba has one guy who is not going to be like a lottery pick, but you were kind of like locked in, like or maybe he was a lottery pick, but late lottery, like, oh, I'm in on this guy. And then it actually paid off. Do you have any guy like that? For example, my my example was um, in the Giannis draft, Dennis Schroeder, I was like, this guy might be able to play and he's been decent as an NBA player. So I feel vindicated by that. Is there anyone kind of equivalent? He doesn't have to be a superstar. Just somebody who's like, is still in the NBA and you were kind of like in on that guy
1: hmm that's such a tough question
0: um
1: i don't know i think i think one of the bigger guys that i was surprised as much as he fell was tyrese halliburton just because i was able to see it it was a iowa state right Mm -hmm. yeah okay i just want to make sure i have the colors right um and just i remembered like just seeing that draft and i'm like bulls need a point guard here Still hasn't been taken yet and he falls all the way to Sacramento. And it's just like... So it's been amazing to see how much he's been able to grow and develop already. Another guy, at least, that's more closely rated that I can actually better think of is Io DeSumo. Um Thought he should have been a first-round pick. He had a slump season last year, but his rookie season, he was absolutely incredible. Um, had some really big moments at different points. Um, tried as he might to help bring the bulls some momentum in that playoff series against the Bucks, But obviously that didn't work out at all because bulls suck. So
0: um, those are, those are two guys. Michael, anyone jump off the top of your head?
2: I'm going to, I'm going to go back to my school pride here for a second. Um, I watched a lot of Alex Caruso at Texas A&M. <laughs> I, I, couldn't <laughs> what happened. I couldn't have predicted his NBA career, but um, i'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and uh, shout out SB Nation again., uh, there was a secret base video on the worst choke in college basketball. I think it was March Madness history of like probably five or six years ago that was talking about the a and m versus Northern Iowa game, where I think I think a and m was down twelve with like fifty seconds left, and they ended up winning. And it was spurheaded by oh. Alex oh. so Magic. So I, I mean, i I wasn't as much of a prediction as much as it was like, just cheering for him the whole way through. And then he's he's all, like all the way back on the Lakers bench and then kind of progresses. And then suddenly he's throwing a lob to LeBron and signing a massive deal with Chicago. So that was that was
0: cool to see. I thought you were going to go back and be like, I knew Chris Middleton was going to be the second best player on a title winning team. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I knew it would yeah, be in Milwaukee yeah. too after Detroit. <laughs> okay, good. Um, I went to the University of Minnesota, so obviously I have nothing, no stakes at all in the draft for me to pay attention to. So I do wish there was like the occasional player I could care about, but it's not for me. Um, Okay. If basketball is your first sport, which it might not be, but for the purposes of this question, we're going to assume it is, what is your second sport? And you can say your second sports team if you want as well.
2: For me, it's college football. I mean, I just the pageantry of it the the storylines and the the fact that it means so much to certain communities i just i don't think there's anything
1: like it
0: especially in texas texas is a whole different beast too for that for sure yes sir horns down
1: yes yes (laughs) (laughs) um for me it's so tough I'd probably have to say just, uh, NFL football. Uh, I didn't grow up with the college team. The closest college team I grew up with was like Northwestern and they weren't very good. And the only reason I really latched onto them is because their basketball team was good. And that, that first tournament run that they had, they should have beaten Gonzaga fight me on that. I still remember watching that game and that was, that was such a goaltend. It still bothers me. But I, I I love talking about NFL football, love writing about NFL football. Um, It's just like one of the other first sports besides baseball I grew up with. I mean, like the Bears were in the Super Bowl when I was six years old and all that kind of stuff. And I hate to admit this, but the one sporting event I've actually cried about was the 2011 NFC Championship game when the Bears lost to the Packers. So I was just about to turn 11 years old then. So uh, that that was the toughest game I've had to watch, especially watching B.J. Raji get a pick six so <laughs> yeah what
2: percentage are you sold on justin
0: fields
1: 99.9 percent
0: like you're all That's in fair. is that do you like you're in you're in on justin fields yeah okay
1: i and this is not like i say this about every quarterback the bears have ever taken um mitch i was about after 2018 i was about like 75 percent in i'm like hey, he had a pretty good season but he could have done better but I think with what the Bears have been able to do this offseason and build around him, and I think he's going to take that leap that Josh Allen took with Stephon Diggs, Jalen Hurts took with A.J. Brown, and Patrick Mahomes having Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill already, I think he's going to be able to make that leap. It maybe won't be number one seed in the NFC or anything like that, but I think it'll be at least at 500 or better record, Um, and I think he's going to be close to be the first 4,000 yard passer in bears history. Ooh, I like that. I like that take. I
0: get, I can reassure all our Wisconsin based listeners. This will end the bears talk heading forward <laughs> on future Jackson appearances. <laughs> so don't worry. It's not yeah. going to become, yeah, it's not going to become a, unless Jackson, you should make it your goal to try and get a bears fact in on every appearance you have on the podcast. <laughs> Just come prepared. <laughs> that's, that's all I'll say. Um, all right, all right. <laughs> okay. Uh, simple one. Do you have any tattoos?
2: <laughs> yes Is- i have i have three tattoos
0: cool oh, you don't okay. have to say what they're that's fine jackson well um uh, if, if you uh, want to you can I, I don't know if i don't want to push anybody yeah. you-
2: no it's cool i just have one stupid one that i got when i was 18 it's i'm um, an astros logo on my leg but <laughs> um, there you
0: go.
1: yeah yeah uh yeah no tattoos i do have an ear piercing that's about it
0: okay cool uh, your top non Milwaukee Bucks basketball podcast presented by brew Hoop podcast that you listen to. So you guys are obviously going to drive up our listen count tomorrow when you download this and send it to all your friends and family. But besides us, what's your other top podcast that you listen to assuming you listen to podcasts at all. I'd say for me, it's
1: uh through the wire Uh highlights um one of the guys on there uh kenny beecham king of the fourth quarter i i grew up with him i think i started watching his videos when he was like rebuilding teams on 2k 18 and all that kind of stuff so uh seeing him on there with his best friends and doing the podcast is really cool uh the other one i would probably also say is a is a pod save america just to get some political news and all that kind of stuff
2: uh, for me, my my top other podcast that I listen to is probably the Stay Hot podcast with Bladen Kirk, Matthew Sponauer, and Theo Ash. It's just ma- mainly NFL talk, but some NBA. They're, they're guys that blew up on TikTok that are kind of around my age. so um, And I think they really know what they're talking about. So it's um, just a lot of good NFL news. That's pretty much my, my primary listen.
0: Cool. And the final question, uh, this is critical one. This is really important. Um, do you think red should be a color in the Bucks uniform color scheme? Hmm. Ignoring, ignoring all the, like the blue one, the purple one, like we're talking just the primary color scheme that they use should red be in there. I'm going to say no. Okay. I think, I
1: think the colors they got, I think the green and the cream and the black, I think is, is pretty solid. I mean, if you wanna go obviously bring back the throwback jerseys from time to time with the red lettering, go for it. But I think moving forward, I think just with what like the Bucks brand has become at this point, it'd be kind of hard to go back to having red in that color scheme. I don't hate it. I just think some of the jerseys they've come out with more recently fit with the Bucks and Milwaukee a lot better.
2: Yeah, I, I'm kind of on the same page. I really did not like the beveled numbers and the red and green from like the the mid 2000s to early 2010s. Just not horrible. It's horrible not not all the way through. Me. They
0: were all horrible. I agree.
2: Yeah, I don't I think if they want to be zany, they I I love the purple, the purple and green and that that older logo with the the deer and the and those colors. I think that's kind of if they're going to be cute with it, that would be the route that I take. And I don't really love the blue ones either, but I think any any of those combinations is better than the the red, at least how it's been used up until this point.
1: I actually had a basketball that had that old uh, Bucks logo with the purple and green when I was growing up. Um, somehow didn't become a Bucks fan because of that, but I did have it.
0: That is that's literally like the origin story of every child who has like a random fandom. Like I was six and I had a novelty basketball from whatever team. So I just decided <laughs> to ride for them. So I, was, I was hoping that was going to be the, the origin story, but that's OK. No, yeah, d you stole my heart. Yeah, okay. understandably. Um, yeah, the 2000s to the 2010s, not great in terms oh. of uniform design and also the material across the entire league. That really shiny garbage bag material. I have no idea what David Stern was thinking there, but um, I like the current uniforms with the incorporation of the rainbow from like the seventies and eighties in the buck scheme. Um, And I look back on those and like the, some of the cream ones with Milwaukee and cursive with the red on front. It's very simple. Like it's just flat, dark green forest green with the Milwaukee red and cursive. I like that, but teach That's right. I'm not going to hold it against you guys and you will be invited again in the future to the podcast in spite of that opinion. Uh, and with that, that brings the podcast to the end. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Jackson and Michael, for coming on. It was awesome to have you guys. We will be uh, probably rotating you in as the uh, season goes long, assuming I didn't scare you off after this. Uh, for everyone who's listening, um, follow us on Twitter. Follow us uh, at the site itself, com. We'll have draft coverage coming up this week. Uh, obviously, if assuming we pick somebody and don't sell, pick 58 or even go a little bit higher. We're going to be talking about that guy, breaking it down. Um, Free agency is right around the corner as well. So a lot of big stuff still coming in the offseason for the Bucs. But for now, uh, we're going to sign off. And thank you guys for listening.